The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. How are you all doing this morning? We having a good morning? Yeah, come on. Oh, that's not bad for us. That wasn't a bad response. I have the privilege, like we said, my name is Shane, of preaching this morning, of continuing our series in Reconstructing Faith looking at some of these tough questions around faith and around God. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the Bible. How can we trust the Bible, this ancient text that speaks to an ancient people, but yet today has something to say to us? And so Kylam spoke about that two weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at suffering and pain. How can we believe on one hand that there is a a God who is good and powerful and loves us, and yet we experience pain and suffering in this world. And so if you missed either of those weeks, I want to encourage you to go back to those podcasts. They were really great, helpful, insightful, pointing us back to God. But today I have the privilege to be speaking on two things that I kind of enjoy, or one thing that I kind of enjoy, which is science, and one thing I love, which is God, and how these two things go together. There's this idea that they're actually at war with one another. There's this cosmic battle going on between science and between God and between facts of science and faith in God. And I just don't think that's the case. And we are going to unpack that this morning. This idea that some say that science has buried God. And this might seem like a topic that's just for those intellectually inclined But I want to encourage us this morning as I speak, as we look at science, as we look at faith in God, that we might know Him more, that we might in turn love Him more, and we might enjoy God all the more this morning as well as His creation. So I'm going to pray again because I need all the help I can this morning, and then we'll get straight into it. Lord, thank You that You are the Creator of all things, that You are above all things, and through You all things were made. And Lord, I just ask as we look at some facts about your creation this morning, we might see you as the creator. We might see you as the majestic God above all things. So open our hearts, open our eyes, and open our ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So a few weeks ago, I was invited to go hiking with some of my friends, and I really didn't want to go because I didn't really like hiking. It was like a 54-kilometer walk up this mountain and down into the valley, and no one would want to do this unless you like the feeling of your calves burning as you carry your backpack full of all your food and your water, and it was absolutely terrible. And then we came into our campsite, which was just a big green open paddock. There was no showers, no canteen, there was no coffee cart, which I was devastated about. And then we we set up our little tents, which we've been carrying around all day, so it was good to get that off our backs. And we got our little Bunsen burner, little jet boiler things out, and we boiled our water, and we made our two-minute noodles, and we ate that. And then it was about 5.30, and the sun was going down. And There's really nothing to do when you're in the middle of a paddock with four guys and there's no lights or anything around you. So we went to bed and we jumped into our tents and this was about 6 p.m. And as we laid there, we looked up at the stars because that's all we could do. And as it got darker and darker, more stars started to appear. And there was no other lights around. So the darker it got, the more stars we saw. And I remember laying there and just thinking, how cool is this? That there is a God who created all of these stars. He created the, the planets and the galaxies out there. 
And then as I laid there, I remember thinking as well, I learned something in one of my science subjects at school that, in fact, the stars that I was currently looking at, light had been traveling so long to just reach my eyes now that some of those stars weren't even there anymore. In fact, most of those stars have actually moved, but I was just seeing the light now as I laid there in my tent. And I thought, that was awesome. Science tells us that. But what I didn't think as I laid there was there was a battle between those two thoughts. That there was a battle between one hand, there was a God who created all things, and on the other hand, the appreciation for science that tells us about his creation. And yet people today would say that, yes, these two things are actually at war with one another. You can't believe in God and believe in science. But what I think really lies underneath these assumptions is that most people think that if you want to believe in God, you need to kind of throw your brain out. If you want to believe in this God in the clouds, then you have to commit some form of intellectual suicide. You can't be a thinking believer or a believing thinker. And I just don't think this is true at all. I think as Kylam spoke about a few weeks ago, the Bible doesn't call us to blind faith. It calls us to follow the evidence. The writers of the gospel said, "These go to these people. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus. So we're not called to blind faith. We are called to love God with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our minds. And so as Christians, to do that, we need to use our minds. And yet this idea, I think, gets masked by the, the perceived battle between God and science. This battle that science has buried God. We don't need God because science has told us all there is to know. And so I want to look at three things really this morning. I want to look at one, the, the battle between God and science. And then I want to look at something else. I think that science not only is compatible with faith in God, but it actually points to a creator that is above all things. And then lastly, I want to look at the relationship between God and science and how both faith and science have limitations and they point us to seek answers in other places. And so first, let's have a look at this battle between God and science that some people say exists. What's funny is up until the late 1800s, scientists uh, of the time were actually men and women of faith. Most scientists, early scientists, believed in a God. In fact, it was their belief in a God that propelled them to seek scientific discoveries and theories. Isaac Newton was a, a guy who came up with this gravity equation. There was people like Kepler and Galileo. These founders of the modern scientific method were all believers in God. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He said, Men became scientific because they believed in law in nature. And they expected law in nature because they believed in the lawgiver. He was saying these men became scientific because they believed there was a God above all things and we could know him through his creation. He put these things in here to know them. Science as we know it today was birthed from the minds of faith-filled men and women. And so as we look back at history, there was never a battle between science and God. And even today, if we look at some of the brightest minds in their scientific fields, take the Nobel Prize, for instance, one of the greatest awards you could win in the scientific fields. Over the last hundred years, more than half, around 65 to 75% of Nobel Prize winning scientists believed in God. They believed that there was a creator of all things, 
So if in some way science had buried God, somebody forgot to tell a whole lot of prize-winning scientists about it. As we look at history, as we look at science today, in no way can we see a battle going on between faith in God and science. And so what fuels this battle or this perceived idea of this cosmic war? And I think it's arguably just a few, a handful of really vocal atheists who would say, because of our science, we don't need a God. But what they're really talking about is this God of the gaps. So over history, when we haven't been able to understand something, they would argue we just plug God into the gap. And so I'll give you an example of this. We used to think, well, not we, but scientists back then and believers back then, people back in ancient times used to think that lightning was from Zeus and that thunder was from the god of thunder Thor himself. But now science has told us, well, actually lightning is just this electrostatic discharge in the atmosphere and that thunder is just air molecules rapidly expanding away from that lightning, causing the sonic bang. And so we don't need this belief anymore. So yes, science has buried these gods, these mythological gods that weren't really gods in the first place, were they? But science hasn't buried the one true God, the God of the universe, the God that is above all things, who's created all things. Because science can't bury God. It never will be able to bury God. And I'm going to get to that in a moment as to why I think that is for certain. But one thing I do want to say this morning is it doesn't mean that science and faith can't come into conflict in some way. That there can't be some weird conflict between what the Bible says and what science says. And we would know this mostly through some of the biblical narratives and also some scientific theories. So for instance, creation. We would look at Genesis 1 and say, well, creation seems to, it seems to say that it was done over six days and that the earth is probably only uh, maybe 10,000 years old max. And yet Darwinistic evolution, on the other hand, science would say, no, in fact, the universe is probably 13.8 billion years old and creation was done over billions of years. And so right now, we, it seems to be at conflict with one another. And so I want to talk about this real quickly, this, this one example of how the narratives in the Bible can come into conflict with science. But before I get into it, if you have a problem with anything I say, please email me, kylam at lifecenterchurch.com.au. I'm not going to tell you what I believe. If you want to know, please come chat to me after. I would love to speak to you about that. But what I am going to say is this book here, this, this Bible, it's not a scientific textbook. It doesn't claim to be a scientific textbook. It's also written in many different genres, as Kylam spoke about a few weeks ago. There is some poetic in nature. There are some historical narratives. There's prophecies and visions and dreams. There's songs. There's hymns. This book is written in many different narratives. So when we seek to understand the Bible, we need to try our best to read it the way that it was intended to be read, in the genre that it was intended to be read. And so when we look at something like Genesis 1, there are many people in this room, faithful Christians I know, that will believe that, yes, the universe, the world was created in six days. 
And I know countless men and women, faithful Bible-believing Christians, even some in this room would say, no, they think God created the universe over billions of years. And there is even some of us here this morning who might sit in the middle. And there's a lot of different theories about what happened in the early times of this universe. But what I hope is that most of us, no matter if you sit over here on the left or over here on the right, would believe a few things that God created all things, the heavens and the earth, and that he holds all things together, that he created man and women in his image, and he gave us purpose and meaning and a destiny, and that it wasn't an accident. It wasn't just a coincidence. We didn't just accidentally come into being. So whether you sit over here in the six days or whether you sit over here, I think our job as Christians is to, one, wrestle with the Bible, try and figure out what we think it is saying. Also, wrestle with science, evolution. There's many gaps in that theory. But what we don't want to do is make this our hill to die on. Let's not take something that isn't at war with itself and turn it into a battle between God and science. Let's not take this creation narrative and make it a stumbling block for people to come to meet Jesus, to join our family of faith. There was a guy who, uh, his name's Stephen Gould. He's a late Harvard scientist. He said this, Either half my colleagues are enormously stupid or else science and evolution is fully compatible with conventional biblical beliefs. This guy's an atheist, atheist, and he's saying, either half of my colleagues who are Christians are either stupid, or there is a compatibility to be had with the creation narrative of the Bible and with evolution. And so like I said, let's wrestle with this. Let's seek to understand it. And I know some of us this morning would think that actually this is taking the authority away from the Bible. And I would argue, no, God's word is above all things. It holds authority above all things. And because of that, it deserves to be read how the author has intended it to be read. It deserves to be read in the genre in which it was intended to be read. And so we need to wrestle with that. There's no battle between science and God. As we look at history, there was never a battle. We look today, there doesn't seem to be a battle. In fact, I would say the more that we seek to understand science, the more, in fact, we, it will point to God and point to some creator that is above all things, all things that seems to speak in his creation. And so what I want to do now is I want to look at two of the major scientific discoveries in the last century that point strongly towards God. First of these is this idea that the universe had a beginning. And we might think, well, yeah, we know that. But what's interesting is up until the early 20th century, we didn't think it had a beginning. Scientists believed that it was eternal. And this other theory, this scientific theory that I want to look at is the fact that the universe is fine-tuned for life. Scientists would say that it seems the world we live in is so finely tuned for life to exist that it doesn't look like a coincidence. And both of these things are scientific discoveries. These are not theological discoveries or church discoveries. This is what science has given us. So let's look at the first one that I think points strongly towards God. From Aristotle until the turn of the 20th century, Scientists believed the universe was static, so it didn't really move around much, and that it was eternal in nature, so it, it always was and always will be. 
And then a guy came along named George Lemaitre. And what's funny about this guy, he was actually a Catholic priest. And he looked at Einstein's equation, his general relativity, and he said, it seems that the universe is not actually static, but is expanding. And then a guy named Edwin Hubble, who uh, we would know the Hubble telescope, he looked through his little lens and he saw that, yeah, the universes were moving away. And so Lemaitre concluded that the universe wasn't static at all. It was expanding from a point. And as he rewound time, he realized that it came to a point where it all began. And so what science had discovered in that moment is what the Bible has been saying for centuries. That in the beginning, that there was a beginning. And we can read about this beginning in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Science points strongly to God. This discovery from the scientific fields points strongly to what the Bible has been saying for centuries. And so now scientists had to figure out, okay, if there was a beginning, what caused this in the first place? And as they sought to understand that, they realized the second point that the chance of a universe actually coming into existence, capable of producing life, was almost impossible. They would say it seems to be so finely tuned. And what what they mean by this is there was a bunch of different parameters that had to be perfect in order for galaxies to be created and life to exist. Like little knobs and little dials. There's about 20 or so of these little dials and they all had to be perfectly tuned in order for the universe to exist and life to come to being. Scientists call these little dials constants. They're a bunch of numbers. They're things like the force of gravity and the weight of an electron, this strong and weak nuclear force, what holds atoms together. There's about 20 or so of these little constants and they all have to be perfect in order for life to exist. If any single one of them was out by even a tiny infinitesimal point, life wouldn't have come into existence. And so we're going to look at one of these today, the chance of just one of these 20 or so constants being what they are. We're going to look at gravity. We all know gravity. Scientists would say the chance of gravity coming into existence exactly how it needed to be. So at the beginning of time, if gravity wasn't what it is today, we, we don't feel the force of what we feel today, even though gravity is not really a force, but we won't get into that. If we don't feel what we feel today, then stars wouldn't have been created. Galaxies wouldn't have been created. Life would not exist. And scientists say that the, the chance of this actually happening is 1 over 10 to the 40. Now, this is, I'm not a mathematician, but that's a big number. That's 1 over 1 with 40 zeros behind it. So that's like 10,000 billion, 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 right? That's a big number. That is the chance of gravity coming into existence perfect, enabling life to exist. And so let me illustrate it this way because we can look at that and go, yeah, that's a big number, but I want to make it more visual for us. So picture, take a five cent piece, right? Let's cover the entire hall in five cent pieces. That's too small. We'll start bigger. Cover the entire Australian continent in five cent pieces. Every beach, every desert, every house. That's a lot of five cent pieces, right? Still not even close. Take another five cent piece and layer them on top of all the other five cent pieces. And now stack layer upon layer upon layer upon layer all the way to the moon some 380,000 kilometers away. So you've got an entire Australia continent covered in five-cent pieces, stacked all the way to the moon. That's a lot of five-cent pieces, right? 
Still not even close. Take another one billion Australian continents covered in five cent pieces stacked all the way to the moon. And take one more five cent piece, color it red, throw it into the one billion and one Australian continents with five cent pieces stacked to the moon, grab the person beside you, blindfold them, spin them around three times and tell them they've got one pick to get that red five cent piece. The chance of them picking that red five cent piece is still far greater than one over 10 to the power of 40. Then gravity just happening to come into existence perfectly for life to exist. And yet, atheists conclude that this was just an accident. This just happened to be some cosmic coincidence. But I'll say the fine-tuning of the universe points to one thing, a fine-tuner. The design nature of the universe points to one thing, a grand designer that is above all things, that chose these numbers. And this is just one out of 20. If we were to take the other 20 and add improbability upon improbability upon improbability, they say we get to a number that there's, no, there's not enough atoms in the universe, not enough matter in the universe to even write the number out. A guy named uh, Frederick Hoyle put it like this. He said, the chance of everything necessary for life to exist is the same likelihood of a tornado sweeping through a junkyard and assembling a perfect and functioning Boeing 747 airplane. That's the same likelihood of all these numbers just happen to be what they need to be for life to exist. This isn't a coincidence. The fine-tuning nature points to God. The beginning of the earth points to what the Bible has been saying for centuries, that there is a God above all things. Robert Jastrow, he's a uh, planetary physicist. He said this, For the scientist who has lived his life by faith in reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He scaled the mountains and as he's about to conquer the highest peak, he pulls himself over the top and he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. What Jastrow is concluding to is science just continues to catch up to what the Bible has been saying for years. Science, the more we discover about it, the more it points towards the creator of all things. So as Christians, we should be encouraged, we should get excited by science. As we look at science, we not only see the creation, but we see the creator. And so scientists have come up with a few theories to try and um, not get around this because they were their theories in the first place to explain it better than a creator because they really don't want to place God as the reason for these things. And so the best thing they've come up with so far is this idea of a multiverse. Metaverse, they're different things. This is the idea of a multiverse. And what this is, is they say that there is an infinite number of universes. And so if there's an infinite number of universes, then there's an infinite number of possible starting conditions. And so if there's an infinite number of possible starting conditions, then one of them surely will have to be the life that we have today, the universe we have today, the world we have today. This is the idea of a multiverse. But what's funny is this theory can't be proved scientifically. It can't be tested scientifically because it sits outside the realm of what science can speak about. It's a philosophical understanding. It's a metaphysical interpretation of the world. 
And science deals with the physical, with the natural. It can't speak of these things. There's a guy I really enjoy. He's a theoretical physicist. His name's Brian Greene. He's one of the biggest proponents for this multiverse theory. He's a great guy, but he's also a humble guy. He said this, when looking at all these numbers, some might come to the idea that a higher being just chose those numbers. And then he says this, which I find funny and even ironic. He said, another approach which is even more radical than the belief in a higher being is this idea of a multiverse. Because Green himself, he knew that this idea of a multiverse sits outside of the realm of what science can prove. And so just as science cannot bury God, science can't bury the multiverse theory either because it can't speak about the multiverse theory. It can't test it, it can't prove it, so it can't disprove it. And this leads to my last point, that science has limitations. As we seek to understand science and their theories, we need to understand that it has limitations about what it can talk about. And that's okay. That's great. We've already seen one of the limitations this morning. Science changes its mind on things and questions that it can answer. Once it said the universe was static, and now it seems to suggest that the universe is actually expanding. And Brian Greene said that in the not-too-distant future... The universe would have expanded so much. As we look through the telescope, we won't be able to see through the distance of black space and science will once again conclude that the universe is static. And so he says the only way we will know that it's expanding is because of history and not science. So scientists will then have to place their trust in history to tell them the truth. And that's okay. Science has limitations, but we need to know that. Science can tell us a lot of amazing things in this world. It can answer a lot of the what questions, the how questions, but it can't answer the why questions. It can tell us about my DNA structure. It can tell us about how, the, how fast I can run. Science has given us some amazing things like medicine and electricity. It's given us airplanes. It gave me my Tesla, which I'm thankful for. Science has given us so many great things. It can tell us about how the sun burns. But what it can't do is tell us why there's a sun at all, or why there's life at all, or what love is. It can't speak of these things. It can't tell us why when we hurt somebody we think it's wrong. It can't give us our morals. It can't give us our conscience. It can tell me what my brain waves are doing. It can't tell me what I'm thinking. It can't tell me what I'm feeling. Science can describe to me what makes up my wife's face, but it can't tell me why I think it's so beautiful. Thank you. All right, check. Science can speak about a lot of things, and that's great. But it has its limitations, and we need to accept that, just as faith has its limitations. I can't open this Bible and figure out how to change the oil in my Tesla if it had oil. It doesn't. But if it did, this Bible can't answer all the questions. So we need science. But as we've seen, there's not a battle going on. In fact, they are complementary. Science points to God. And as we look at scientific limitations, we need to go somewhere else to answer these questions. The why questions of this world. We need to go somewhere to figure out 
what our meaning is, what our purpose is. Where do we get our morals, our values, our identity? Why are we here at all? And so I want to illustrate it this way. Some of the limitations on science. Here's a coffee, right? I love coffee. I could give this coffee to a room full of scientists and they could tell me so much about this coffee. I could give it to a biologist, for instance, and they can tell me the molecular structure of the coffee or how the caffeine stimulates my brain. I can give it to a nutritionist and they can tell me how many carbs and proteins and that doesn't matter because I'm drinking it anyway. And I can give it to a, a, nutrition, a, a chemist and they can tell me the, the chemical composition of the coffee. I can give it to a physicist and they can tell me when I drop it how fast it will fall or how much it weighs or how much energy is pushed through the beans to make my oh-so-delicious coffee. I could give this coffee to a room full of scientists and they could tell me so much about this coffee, which is awesome. But can any of them tell me why it was made? What it was made for? They can guess, but they can't answer the reasons, the question, why? It just so happens that this coffee was made because I have a severe coffee addiction and I needed to get through the sermon, but that's okay. When we look at science, it can answer some great questions, but it can't tell us why we're here. If we want to know the answers to the big why questions, we need to ask the one who made us. We need to ask the creator of all things. We need to go to the one who gave us our meaning, who gave us our morals, who gave us our purpose and our destiny. We can look at science to tell us things about creation, and then we can look at creation to point us towards a creator. But if we want to know God, It's in the person of Jesus that we meet him fully. It's in Jesus that we see God's heart most vividly. As God above all enters his creation, puts on flesh and blood to walk amongst us, to enter into our pain and our suffering. Ultimately going to the cross to die for his creation, to make a way, to redeem his creation, to bring his children home. If we want to know our meaning in life, we need to go to Jesus. If we want to know our purpose and our destiny, we need to turn to Jesus. If we want to answer these big why questions in life, it's in Jesus that we find them. And the good news of the Bible is that he's not a distant God. He is close. As we seek him, we will find him. It says, as we look for truth, whether it's in science, whether it's in faith, that we will find the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no battle between science and God. There never has been. There never will be. Science and God are a match made in heaven. Science and God are together because God created science. And science just points back to him. So maybe you're here this morning and you aren't a Christian at all and you've wrestled with some of these uh, assumed battle between God and science, some of these questions around that. I want to encourage you, continue to wrestle, continue to ask those questions. And while you're doing that, I suggest open up the Bible. Ask God himself to reveal himself to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to come speak to you and lead you into all truths. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a Christian and you've heard these, uh, these things thrown around like science and God are at war and you've just kind of ignored them. My hope this morning is that we can learn to love God more with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds as we walk with him.
that we wouldn't take these things in the Bible that seem contradictory and make them a stumbling block for inviting people into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been sitting on the fence for a while. You've heard some things, some sermons, you've heard the gospel preached, but you also have some big questions and I'm sure I've answered none of them this morning. But if that's you, I want to invite you to place your trust in Jesus, to let him be your guide into all wisdom and knowledge, as Colossians says, in Jesus is all wisdom and knowledge. Place your trust in the creator of all things as we see his majestic and grand nature. God didn't just create the galaxies and all there is. He created you and me. And he loves you deeply. He cares for you. So turn to him. Place your life in his hands. There's no battle going on, as we've seen today. And so no matter where we're coming from this morning, I just want to invite you to to keep searching answers, to keep asking big questions, because our God is bigger. Our God is greater. He's a God of all love, of all joy, and he loves you and wants you to enjoy him. God is above all things, He's in all things, and through him all things were created. So as we go out into our weeks, I invite you to look around, appreciate his creation. See how beautiful it is that you might see how beautiful he is. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.